to The Coaching Cast, your working from home managers club, here to check in with you weekly to share your remote working highs and lows, remind you that you're not alone and acknowledge that there's many of us outside of your living room, kitchen, spare room, car, all sailing through this crazy storm together whilst trying to be the best coach, manager, leader and human being we can be. I'm Lisa Robinwood, founder of Grip Corporate Coaching, personal performance coach, leader and chief eye roller when it comes to all nonsensical corporate mumbo jumbo, which suffocates rather than advocates. And I'm Susie Hunt, business coach, leadership and sales mentor at Future You Coaching, currently taking on my hardest coaching assignment to date, parenting a one-year-old who certainly doesn't like being questioned. In this podcast, we aim to explore the leadership and coaching techniques required to navigate and survive the current business environment, masks and social distancing measures included. Each episode will present different topics which we will explore and discuss with support from some special guests along the way, sharing ideas, hints and tips as we go. We won't tell you what to do because we hate that, but we'll share and invite you to take away whatever you want. We hope you enjoy listening. Leadership behaviour has been scrutinised a lot during the pandemic, whether it be world leaders and their handling of the pandemic or business leaders and how they've navigated the impact to operations and the well-being of their employees. In today's episode, we're going to explore some of the best and worst examples of great modern leadership from the past few years, specifically how leaders have really connected with their employees, their audience, and created, or rather not particularly created, personal connections, showing empathy as part of that journey. Stay with us and enjoy. So before we get cracking on today's intriguing episode around colourful leadership in all different forms. Um, how's your week been, Suze? Hey, uh, yeah, not too bad, actually. So I think I'd probably say I've had a decent week after a few challenging ones. Um, <laughs> to put it mildly. To put, to it, put mildly. it mildly. And I'll absolutely take that. <laughs> um, so yeah, all, all good in the hood. N- nothing kind of too uh, dramatic to report. Um, one good thing that has happened, though, is I've had my COVID vaccine. Excellent. So, woo! Woo, 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 woo. Passport to freedom, passport to freedom. Exactly. All went well. Uh, So it was all fine. Um, And so I was on the list because I'm diabetic. So I got uh, um, pulled up to to have my vaccine. Um, So yeah, that was really good. Um, And also, obviously, this week, it's been a a big week. Um, We've had the Bojo announcement um, Mm -hmm. in terms of the um, roadmap to hopefully us living a bit more of a normal life, which I think um, I've been talking to like a couple of people about it, actually. And I think although it's brilliant, it gives us, a, a, you know, optimism and it gives us a goal to work towards. I also felt like a little bit of anxiety about it. I think maybe because we've been here before and, you know, there's so many variables at play and it's like, will it actually happen? And also we've in some ways now been can kind of conditioned to be used to living in this way as well. Um, so it's kind of like a lot of mixed emotions, I think, going around about um, what we were now working towards. Um, and for some people, you know, as well, they've had to like rearrange their weddings or they've had to change their plans again and their livelihoods. So, yeah, kind of a lot of emotion, I think, attached to that subject this week. How about you? What, do you, what, what are your kind of thoughts and how's your week been? Yeah, I think I can really relate to what you described around the anxiety element. So I do generally approach these announcements from Boris and his gang his crew with trepid- <laughs> with trepidation I don't generally feel that excited about them I'm always slightly apprehensive as to what they're going to say and although I am truly grateful that they are now articulating a way out of the situation we're in I have kind of got used to that way of living and I remember this last year actually in the first lockdown I felt exactly the same I kind of got used to living in this little bubble where I was spending a lot of time at home and with my husband and our world had become so much smaller yeah which I know when it started I found really frustrating and quite frightening actually 
And I found the restrictions quite frightening because having never lived like that before. But actually towards the end, I'd become so used to it. I was quite comfortable about it. And then when things were able to be open again, I was nervous. And I feel like I'm going back through that cycle in the same way, mm. which is I'm nervous about it. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's a real, it's a real strange one. And I think some of that is, I think what you said really, is that we've been here before. I don't want to have to go through this again anytime mm. soon. It's already the third time. So mm. I really do hope that come the 21st of June, when they are stating that the intention is to remove all restrictions, including mask wearing, which I have to admit, I'm really, really looking forward to. I hope that's the case. And I hope we don't go backwards at any point. So, yeah. And I think it's also going to be interesting as to what will life be like from that point because we've all got used to being apart and we've got used to when we're out in shops keeping our distance and you know not hugging anyone like is it going to take a bit of time to like unwind some of that and for us to lose the habit of keeping separate I don't I don't know it's odd isn't it uh, but yeah, I, I mean, the spirit of not overthinking things, because I don't generally like to do that. I don't find it that helpful. It's it's a goal, as you've said. And, you yeah. know, as coaches, we love a goal. And there is one well, there with a time yeah, frame. There's dates absolutely. on it and everything. So therefore, it's, <laughs> it's cemented. So let's move towards it, I say. And I think that's the thing. It, things I do think it will come around quite quickly. I know for some people, so. we all got a different sense of time. I'm sure there are yeah. people out there saying it could, it's not coming soon enough. But actually, we're already, you know, coming into March, which is mad. I can't believe that. So June's not that far away. Yeah, hopefully. Fingers crossed. It, it comes around really quickly um, and we'll have some freedom. Yeah, freedom. In yeah. the words of the wonderful George Michael. <laughs> I won't, um, I won't sing further than that. No, neither will I. Oh my gosh. <laughs> right, should we That'd get be... into the topic before Horrendous. we uh, <laughs> we ruin things for everyone further? We've probably no. lost most of our audience just at that moment. Right, quick. <laughs> on to the topic. Let's do it. So in today's episode, we're going to explore some of the best and worst examples of modern leadership from the past few years, specifically looking at how those leaders have, or rather haven't in some situations, connected with their audience. So the people around them, either those they directly lead and manage, or those who look to them for leadership in the wider context of their role. Part big part of that is going to be looking at empathy, and we'll talk a bit more about that later. So To kick off this conversation, we're starting with an individual who has hit the headlines recently in the UK, and that's Bill Michael, ex-chairman of KPMG, who recently told his employees to stop moaning during a virtual meeting about the impact of coronavirus and made a bold claim that unconscious bias is crap. So let's just check in on the meaning of unconscious bias, which, let's be honest, I probably did more for my own personal Uh, benefit than anyone else's. Essentially, unconscious bias is the underlying attitudes and stereotypes that individuals unconsciously attribute to another person or group of people that affects how they understand and ultimately engage with them. We're all guilty of it in some form. It's just that it needs to remain checked, i.e. we need to practice our own self-awareness and check in on ourselves around our thoughts and behaviours to challenge any of that unhelpful, unfair thinking that is wrongly manipulating how we're treating people. I've watched the Bill Michael recording and believe this is an example of a leader failing to recognise the importance of their role and responsibilities and understand the audience that they're speaking to. So ultimately for him, the people in which he's leading and their many different versions of reality, ultimately showing a severe lack of self-awareness in that moment and very much a speak before you think scenario. So Susie, what are your thoughts about Bill Michael and his stop moaning comment to his employees? Mm. So, yeah, Bill, 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 (laughs) 
Bill. Or Michael, um, if you're like me and can't seem to connect with the fact that just because he's got two names that actually could be a first name doesn't mean you swap them around. The amount of times I've wanted to call him Michael Bill. So yes, Bill. Well, he might want to swap them around. <laughs> um, so I watched the video and I read um, a couple of um, articles and reports about what happened at the virtual town hall a few weeks ago. Um, and I think... Um, I watched it and I think my jaw kind of dropped a little bit when I got to the end of the recording. Um, It is for me an incredibly insensitive um, narrative that he communicates. It comes across um, from a place of a little bit around a little bit of a place around hostility I think um not much empathy there and and it's very uncompassionate in the way he kind of pres- both he way he presents himself and also what he says and the words he used uh, and it's very privileged I think um from a place where he doesn't really seek to understand or um you know, empathise with perhaps how other people are feeling or where they are at in their lives and their journey with what's going on at the moment. Um, it also didn't particularly acknowledge differences of, of who people are and their um, backgrounds, but also what they can bring. It was it was quite dismissive. Uh, and that's where the kind of unconscious bias piece plays in. He was very dismissive of, of that, uh, that element. Uh, and I think he fundamentally and very wrongly forgot about his role and the impact he has on others and his responsibility actually to others it, it, it particularly in that very significant leadership position you know he's an example to everyone in that position around how you should behave and, and the values that you should demonstrate within the organization and when you are at the top of the tree your you know behavior will then um filter down to all the kind of levels beneath and people will look up to that and um aspire to be like that because that's what they think is is good and, and is set in, as an example and um, so i think that in that instance is a very dangerous uh, potential position to kind of be in and, and be demonstrating for me personally, as an individual watching it, if I was in that organisation, I think that trust and respect would would instantly have been gone. And I'm not saying, you know, that's the reaction for every single person who who watched that or who was in that meeting. But for me, I, I instantly would have, have not been able to buy into him as a leader and as an individual from that point onwards because there was just so much wrong with what a what he said b how he presented it um and c that kind of lack of uh, compassion and uh seeking to understand people and where they may potentially be at um so that's my kind of thoughts on it um it was yeah quite difficult to watch in some places how about you what what are your thoughts on on bill michael's situation there I really stripped it back in terms of how I viewed it. And what I saw in that video was a man sitting in his casual clothes in front of his laptop in a room by himself somewhere, having a conversation to a faceless audience. Mm. And I genuinely think he had a complete lapse in judgment and awareness forgot where he was, who he was with, and spoke aloud his thoughts. And I know I don't agree with what he said, but we all are entitled to an opinion, rightly or wrongly. You don't have to like what someone thinks about things. I think it's recognizing when it's appropriate to share and when it's not, not just in terms of how it may represent you, but who you're speaking to. And I genuinely think he where he appeared to me to just forget where he was. And this is, I think, the danger of Zoom and any form of video conferencing call that we all need to be extremely aware of and really consider. Just because you can't see your audience face-to-face personally doesn't mean they're not there (laughs) and that they're not listening. And obviously what you're also missing is that 
ability to read people's faces, read a body language, take cues from that, and also be able to read and interpret reactions. You're missing all of it if you're not specifically looking out for it. So I really think it's a a real key lesson, not just in leadership in respect of the role of you play as a leader and that shadow you cast and really being clear about how you best connect with those that you're leading so you truly speak to them in a way that means something to them, that makes sense to them, like what you were describing around acknowledging other people's realities. It's also a lesson in how to conduct yourself when it comes to speaking to um, a large group of people, but especially over uh, video conferencing, where you really, I think, have to be very considerate that if anything, you have to prepare more, not Mm. less, to communicate the message you want to share in the way that you would like it to be received. So, yeah, that's, I mean, that's all I could think about. I don't know why, but I was really drawn to that when I watched the video. I was like, oh, this is just a bloke (laughs) just (laughs) downplaying this is just a bloke sitting in his t-shirt in a room somewhere clearly missing the fact of who he's talking to and the environment he's in I think you raise a really good point there about that informal setting influencing his persona in that call and his preparation and the way he presented himself and I think there is like you said there is an absolute danger that when you are then in a more informal environment probably at home and um, <clears throat> that you know can change the way that you might communicate or your view on something and it becomes a lot more blurred um, and so I think yeah that's a really really good point to, to raise and also that emotional intelligence was you know in that particular moment I think because he couldn't see people and he didn't have that two-way dialogue and can pick up on maybe some of that um visual cues of how other people body people's body language that emotional intelligence just wasn't there and that's so important around how you read the room read people then build that connection you know ask those questions seek to understand that was just completely was lacking and and so that then um created kind of this bubble effect where it just kind of ran and ran and ran and it kind of became worse and worse the more you watched it yeah absolutely I think a big part of emotional intelligence and and it's so important in leadership is you recognize your own thoughts and feelings but also you crucially recognize others Mm. And you adjust yourself and how you behave, how you speak, how you carry yourself, the language you use to be able to better connect and relate to those who who are around you. And, you know, with those comments that he threw out so flippantly as well, they were so flippantly thrown out. I wouldn't have even said they were overly impactful in terms of how he stated things. He just threw them out like so casually. I think he just totally in that moment just completely became disconnected from his organization, all the people within it and not recognizing that, you know, and I know it's a term that's been used quite a lot actually through the pandemic on and off. Yes, we're, we're, we are in the same storm, but we're in different boats. You know, we're, we're not in the same boat everyone's managing processing, dealing with this all in very different ways because we're all different and it's wrong to assume it's the same because it's not. And mm. I, I genuinely think he just totally fell into that category of being very assumptive and quite like blind. And, you know, you've already said it really, but if you're in such a key position as he is, as you said, he's at the top of the tree you can't manage an organization responsibly with full accountability accountability in that way. And I think that's why ultimately, and I think he recognized it really, he had to go, you know, he said it's my time with KPMG is untenable now because he'd lost everyone in that simple, in that short moment, you know, you said if I'd been in that organization and I'd been there, I would have lost, lost all trust and respect. So it's unbelievable really, isn't it? Crazy. So obviously you talked a bit about Bill. 
or Michael, whichever you want to call him, if you're like me and can't seem to get his name right. Um, what other examples of leadership behaviour kind of gone wrong have you thought about, Suze? Theresa May, when she was a prime minister. Um, specifically, I think her during her tenure um, during Brexit, so when she was trying to move towards getting that over the line, and also as well post um, the Grenfell disaster, she was widely criticised for her lack of kind of emotional response to the victims' families and the situation at the time. And I think, you know, she clearly had a lot of dedication to her job. And, and, and I think, you know, it meant a lot to her. You could see that when she actually did her final speech outside 10 Downing Street. That was probably the first time we really ever saw any pure emotion on, and, or how she really felt about the role and, and her kind of um, tenure as prime minister. But during that time, especially around Brexit, um, I remember seeing her a lot on, on TV in various interviews and, and speaking to, to journalists. And she used to just stick to the same script over and over again. Like it was this continual narrative, um, which in some ways became, like certainly for me, became a bit of a joke. You know, she, she said, you know, a lot about you know, Brexit means Brexit um, over and over again. And, and the narrative was... was um, fairly you know it wasn't particularly impromptu it wasn't particularly natural or in the moment um and it was all just a bit wooden I would say uh, a lot of the time and I think as well you know she she was very uncomfortable visibly uncomfortable with opening up a lot of the time and I and don't get me wrong I know when you're in that position you can't be fully opening up around your thoughts and feelings and views I get that but there's probably an element of being in the middle and, you know, for example, you know, telling stories about where she'd maybe learn or grown as in her uh, leadership journey or, um, you know, where she was sharing what she um, perhaps, you know, thought about a situation. Um, and I think when you can't storytell or when you can't um, open up to an extent it doesn't then build and we've talked about this on other episodes it doesn't then build connection with people they don't buy into you as a as a human as an, a you know and and that's where that emotional intelligence and leadership really comes into play um, and if it is all just a bit staged and all a bit unauthentic and wooden it doesn't inspire people um, you can't reassure people that it's going to be okay because you can't give an example of when it has been for you. Um, and so that doesn't then unite people. And I think going back specifically to that kind of Grenfell um, experience, that's what she needed to do was unite that community and that and, and those families that um, she was going to do everything she possibly could to find out, you know, what had happened. And I think because she couldn't bring those people together, the impact then was of her words and, and, and her kind of more um, wooden persona was was quite vast uh, and, and not in a good way. So, yeah, I think she is an example of somebody who's absolutely got the intelligence to do a job, um, but was lacking that more emotional side and how that really brings in connection and inspiration for others. I think your example of Teresa in the Grenville situation is a really interesting one to bring up because at the time she was heavily criticised, as you point out, for showing no emotion to the situation and not being present at the time. So she didn't uh, she didn't visit Grenfell, whereas Jeremy Corbyn did. Mm. And but in doing so, showed I'm here for you. I think in those scenarios, what you can do as a leader. If regardless of your background, your social standing, your finances, your political beliefs is show I'm still a human being and I still feel things. And when something awful happens to a human, I can relate to what that feels like because I am also one too. And I have children and I am a wife. I am, you know, and that's what was lacking there. And it was, it was as though I felt that she was paralyzed in many ways and did nothing 
for fear and overthinking of what the right thing was to do. And I do think that happens mm. quite a lot in leadership. I'm, I think you see that in business as well, is that actually the overthinking, oh, the overthinking of what the right thing to do is in a situation, or maybe not the right thing, that's not necessarily the word I mean, the appropriate thing to do, stops people from doing anything. And I, I think this comes back to that, and I think we have mentioned it before, and I think we should explore it deeply in an episode, which is that around vulnerability and being prepared to be vulnerable as a leader and show your cards, show who you are, show what you think, show that what you're feeling, show a bit of a side of yourself that is not work-related even for a moment, because that's what people will connect with, I truly think. But I recognise it's not something everyone's comfortable to do. And I definitely don't think Theresa May's comfortable to do that either. Definitely mm. not in the past. Maybe not. Maybe it'd be interesting to see how she is now. But a really good example, though, I think. So we talked about things not working. And in the spirit of positivity and optimism and, and moving forward and taking action, which is what you and I love to do, especially as, in our role as coaches, what about an example of a leader who has got this right for us to learn from? So a leader who has been able to connect with their emotional intelligence successfully and demonstrate that they have some. <laughs> so um, I think a great example for me, so um, I suppose sporting alliances aside, um, is actually in the world of football. I'm going to take it back to um quite a long time so to 1997 so uh, quite a long oh time ago oh my goodness 1997 if, if you can remember those pre uh covid <laughs> <laughs> years right back in, into the uh, into the 90s spice actually, girls were at number 1 <laughs> i'm sure uh, so Spice Girls were at number 1 and uh, also eric cantona had just left man united okay Gosh. Um, but this for me is a great example, a timeless example of actually brilliant emotional intelligence by a leader. And the story goes like this. So um, in 1997, uh, Cantona had left Man United. And so Alex Ferguson was um, the manager. And months after um, the player left the club, uh, he wrote him a letter. And it's quite a uh, substantial letter. I'm going to summarise the key points in a second. But um, if you want to take a look, you can um, Google it. And we'll also put it on our Instagram. But also it's published in Sir Alex Ferguson's book called Leading. And this is a book that I've read, actually. Um, and although I'm um, personally not a massive football fan, although my husband is a, a huge Man United uh, supporter, um, alliances aside, it is actually a really good book about um, leadership and also about emotional intelligence. In this particular letter, he reminds Cantona, uh, firstly, how good a player he was during his time in the club. He expresses sincere gratitude and empathy towards him in terms of the situation. He extends an invite. So he says, you know, drop in any time for tea and a chat. And he puts himself into the shoes of Cantona and how he may be feeling at that particular um, moment in time. And I think what's clear from reading this letter is he made it his business to put himself into the shoes of his players uh, and into the viewpoint of what might be important to them and how they might be feeling at that time. And one of the things he did famously say, which I think um, is, is really sums up the power of, of having emotional intelligence alongside having talent and in, 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 in IQ and intelligence as well, is um, he famously said, lift your head and see what's going on around you. And for me, that's what having EQ or emotional intelligence is all about, is looking up and seeing what's going on around you in terms of your team, in terms of the people around you, and thinking about how you then react to that in a, in a sensitive way and showing empathy and showing that, what we talked about in the Bill Michaels example, that all important seeking to understand. And great to take an example from a different setting, so taking it from sport 
we've got we've talked about politicians famously as well so I was thinking about leaders who are owning emotional intelligence and using it really effectively in yeah. today's so you've got to take us back to 97 <laughs> I'm going to try and bring us forward to the here and now really and what I would say is I do think finding examples in terms of really emotionally intelligent leaders I think and this is quite exciting there are more examples coming through in current recent times especially with the COVID pandemic Mm. that is demonstrating a change a sort of turning of the tide of how individuals are viewing the role of a leader and their responsibility and I think these past months has really encourage people to show their humanness because the pandemic has been such a human issue that's transcended roles authority society differences I think all of us have been being impacted it, it by it in some way fair enough maybe in different ways it, to different levels I'm not talking about that what I'm talking about is I don't think it hasn't touched anybody and so I think actually in many ways if you're going to see any kind of positive from this bringing us together and finding ways in which we can relate to one another another has got to be in there somewhere so I was thinking well which leaders have I noted that have really shown this level of humanness and although she may not be an obvious leader in some ways the example I'm going to use is a lady called Celeste Barber so Celeste Barber for anybody who doesn't know who she is she is an Australian comedian actor and a writer who has been prolific on Instagram in the last couple of years mainly with her reenactment if you like of famous models and their depiction of themselves their their image and the sort of famous photos that she then recreates to great hilarious effect I think and I'm using her because fine she's not a political leader and she's not a leader in business but she is a business woman in her own right her business being herself she's the brand and I think what she really does really really very well is she embodies the power of authenticity and being real and being yourself which I think people are have been crying out for over these last few years and it's more um popular popularized being yourself these days than I think ever before and I think she is truly representing it I also think what she does so well is she is so relatable and I think that's why she has such a huge following now and why she actually ultimately has so much influence so what I think she demonstrates is that you can lead with humor you can have influence with humor you can be hugely successful and intelligent and it's not the sign of the opposite you know she famously at the beginning of 2020 prior to covid and the pandemic starting she really got behind supporting fundraising for the horrendous bushfires that attacked australia and she okay. raised 51.3 million dollars wow. via social media to support the fire services and the people impacted by Um, and the animals, I might add, by the disaster. She's had the most successful Facebook charity drive of all time. And I think she truly leads, she speaks out, she brings people together, and ultimately she gets shit done. And Mm. I think that is, in many ways, what the role of a leader is about in terms of their responsibilities. And although she's not an obvious choice, I think she embodies a lot of what we're talking about. And part of her real strength in her emotional intelligence is her ability to empathize with other people and be human speak to people bring people together and I think staying in the southern hemisphere because I think the females down there seem to be really (laughs) rocking it at the moment obviously the other obvious for me personally the obvious choice when it comes to leaders and leaders maybe more obviously back into that political setting is Jacinda Arden who Mm. I think has been so inspiring because she has truly been herself 
And in simplest terms, I think she stands up and represents being a mum, being a wife, and ultimately being a human being before she does being a prime minister. Mm. I think she takes on those roles first and then is very much, oh, and I'm the prime minister of New Zealand, which I take really seriously, but I am all these other things as well. Mm. And I don't know many senior leaders who have taken on their leadership role in that way, especially not in politics before. I think it's very much first and foremost, I'm a prime minister, I'm a president. Oh, and then you can understand the things about me that are are deep within and that I'm also these other things as well. Um, But I don't think that's the case with Jacinda. And I think she has stepped up and been visible and present in moments of crisis, like with the horrendous shooting that took place. And, you know, she was right there on the ground with the people it impacted, the people it affected, the people who'd experienced great loss, being a human being. So she did very much the opposite of what um, Theresa May did in the example you gave. And Mm. I think her being present and visible and demonstrating this is an awful situation, it's really uncomfortable, It's, it's not about me, but I want to be there with you anyway, and I want to demonstrate, no, it's not about me directly, but indirectly it's about human beings. It's about our country. And because of that, I'm hurting too, yeah. in a way. And showing how much she cared, it just was so powerful. And I think she is being regularly celebrated at the moment. And so in some ways, I was disappointed in myself for maybe offering such an obvious choice. But the, the, the fact is, actually, is that her approach at the moment is quite unique. There are not enough people with those skills in key roles at the moment. Mm-hmm. And that's where there is a gap. I think there are plenty of women and men as well, because there are some fantastic, really emotionally intelligent men out there, too. This isn't about gender who are who have these qualities have these skills and are demonstrating them but they're not in the positions we need them to be in (laughs) there's not enough of them yeah yeah definitely I think um when you when you actually talk about um the example with Jacinda and and the kindness that she showed the word I was looking for Sue's kindness kindness and I know that's a real key word at the moment in society and actually so it should be that's that's really important um but there's a real contrast there when you think about kind of her approach versus the approach we talked about with with Theresa May and I believe everyone is intrinsically good I know there are probably many people out there who may well disagree with me but I'm an optimist and I believe in the good in people. I don't think it's that Teresa is not intrinsically good. I think she is not confidently connected enough with her emotions and her, her, I think, yeah, inner thoughts in some ways to feel able, capable to represent herself in the way that she would like, that she feels is suitable. And that's the difference. I mean, I'm just putting words in her mouth. I don't know, Teresa. We're not mates or anything. I'm just, I'm assuming, um, which I generally say you shouldn't do. But for the purpose of this episode, for it to work, I'm going to use it. Um, because it's highly unlikely at any point I'll ever meet her. Maybe I will off the back of this episode. She'll probably come well, Maybe she'll to listen me. to it. Maybe, maybe she'll, she'll listen, listen to, to it and episode. she'll go, you two haven't got a clue what I was going through at that time. Um, or what I thought. Also, she probably would tell us that she sacked her advisor. Look, I think it's it's about looking at how do you, especially if it's not a natural skill that you possess, how do you improve how you connect with other people? And I think just at this point, I think it's really important that we do just um, recognise that we are all human, in, in some shape or another, although that could be debated maybe for Donald Trump. <laughs> um, we are in this, listen, we are going to slip up from time to time in showing our emotions. We can't be perfect 
all the time and we're not we're not saying that's what you need to be doing I certainly in my leadership um roles previously have got it wrong at times where I've reacted in the moment or not reacted in the best possible way and normally because there's been other stuff that's been going on in the background um and actually do you know what we we, we're going to get it wrong from time to time but I think to your point actually uh, and, and the examples you've just used it's about how we then respond and manage that situation moving forward that's the crucial element so to bring that to life, and I know for me, when I got it wrong, I actually followed it up with um, the person that I'd maybe not reacted great with in a one-to-one conversation. I rang them up afterwards and I just apologised. Mm. And I just said, I'm really sorry. I got that completely wrong. Um, you know, I shouldn't have reacted in that way. Um, and luckily for me, they, you know, they accepted that apology and actually maybe did that give us more did that move our relationship forward even more probably because I'd I'd acknowledged that I'd got it wrong and I'd apologized for that um but actually I think it's okay sometimes to show that emotion but it's how you then respond and move it forward that's that's really crucial and it goes back to that Bill Michaels example of you know it shouldn't have been said fundamentally but he got it wrong and, and, and how he responded and managed that situation um, wasn't right and wasn't great. Thanks, Susie. And thanks for giving the, the balanced view and being honest and open and showing vulnerability. That's what you did just there. So thanks for, thanks. Thanks for doing that. No problem. So to summarise then, here are our top three suggestions for you to try this week. So our top three suggestions for you to try this week in line with the subject of emotional intelligence in leadership are number one, acknowledge others' realities and seek to understand them. Number two, empathize with others and be kind, but don't fake concern. So this is about finding ways in which you can connect with that other person and demonstrate that you've listened that although you may not be able to completely understand what they're going through you know that they are going through something and that you treat them with sensitivity and kindness to support them to be able to process that and show that you are human and then the last one is take responsibility for your environment and for yourself So this is about really thinking about how you best prepare for a situation, consider how you're going to carry yourself, how you're going to communicate, the language you're going to use, and then really respond appropriately. So that's taking learnings from the situation we talked about with Bill Michael, where he clearly forgot that although he couldn't see people, he could be seen and he could be heard. And that just because you're on a Zoom call in a room by yourself doesn't mean you don't have an audience so bear that in mind all of us I think who are remote working right now I think the last thing to finish with is really thinking about the power and role that emotional intelligence has in leadership it's not just about your IQ it's not just about your talent it's not just about your qualifications emotional intelligence is just as important as all of those I would actually argue even more so and it has been proven time and time again that the greatest leaders who are the most successful and the most successful in a reputable celebratory way are so because they have high emotional intelligence So it's now time for our listener question. So this is where you, the listener, send us your workplace dilemma or question or issue, and we'll do our best to try and answer that question and offer you some thoughts and suggestions as to how to tackle it. So Susie, can you play this week's listener question, please? Yes. So this week's listener question is from Lizzie in Sheffield. So I'm going to play it now. Hi Susie and Lisa, my name's Lizzie from Sheffield and I run my own business from home. Like many, I'm currently struggling with the challenges of homeschooling my daughter and running my own business. 
do you have any tips or tricks to help me with prioritising both my work and parental duties at the same time? Thanks for giving me the opportunity to ask a question. Oh, thanks, Lizzie. Well, it sounds like you've got your hands full there. So oof, thank you for also taking the time to record a question and send it <laughs> in to us. Yeah. <laughs> Gosh, so much respect for all of you incredible females and males who are parenting and homeschooling at the moment. Wow, you're all my superheroes. Oh, I echo that. Um, so, yeah, any uh, hints or tips? Well, I think, uh, firstly, I would say, um, if you haven't already, uh, boundaries are pretty critical <laughs> at this point. Um, hopefully there is some light at the end of the tunnel. But I think in these next couple of weeks leading up to um, when your daughter hopefully goes back to school, uh, boundaries are really important. And what I mean by that is just thinking about um, creating time where you are then single mindedly focused either on work and, and, and moving that forward or on um, your parental responsibilities, looking after your uh, daughter or whether that's stuff around the house as well. So I think try not to do um, both at the same time because I think then you start blurring um, the boundaries and that becomes actually quite stressful and quite anxious for you. So I think just being quite single-minded and now this is time for work and now this is time for parenting if you can will probably um, just help with that. My second um, suggestion would be tell the people that you work with the situation you're in, because actually probably a lot of them are probably in the same, trying to homeschool and work at the same time. Uh, and also when you'll be online and when you'll be offline so that you move away from that feeling of or expectation of having to always be online because that again creates quite a sense of um stress and, and anxiety within us so yeah my second tip would be tell people you work with the situation and the boundaries that you're you're setting for yourself and the third thing um i would suggest is um maybe if you can create the time in your diary is create a bit of a well-being day once a fortnight whether that's for you uh, solely on your own or if that's actually time with your daughter where you don't um, work or you don't homeschool you just spend some nice quality time together and so that you don't again feel that pressure of having to do everything all the time uh, it's a nice day just dedicated to uh, either yourself or also to the the two of you as well so they would be my main hints and tips Lisa have you got anything you wanted to maybe add for Lizzie I think what I would add to that is a way in which to recognize what you have achieved every day and to give yourself time to celebrate. Because I think when you're trying to conduct multiple roles and you have many things to do, what you lose sight of is all that you have achieved. You mm. tend to look at all the things you haven't done and I think we're all putting a lot of pressure on ourselves to get it all right and get it all done and I think what we're missing is actually the things we are doing well and I think just giving yourself some time at the end of the day doesn't have to be very long it could even be when you get into bed and you're about to pass out but as long <laughs> as you're uh, acknowledging what you have achieved in that day and recognizing that the next day is a new day and you can start again so I think that's some great advice there from Lisa well done Lizzie so I hope that works for you good luck with everything and hopefully Boris's announcement has given you some much needed light at the end of the tunnel sooner rather than later to enable you to focus on but otherwise remember you are doing a good job if those of you who are listening have your own thoughts on this and would like to share or have a question for us to answer please do get in touch you can email us at hello at thecoachingcast.co.uk or you can send us a message on Instagram at thecoachingcast. So it's now time for Bullshit Bingo, where we call out phrases which get commonly used in the workplace, which make us cringe. Today's Bullshit Bingo is, if I can say this correctly, <laughs> paradigm shift 
in the context of an important change having happened and a move away from the usual way of working or doing something. It's replaced by a new or different way of thinking or doing ultimately the end. Now, this butte has come through from one of our listeners, Martin, who emailed us. So thank you very much, Martin, for this cracker. So (laughs) paradigm shift. What does this even, what is paradigm? What does this mean? I mean, it sounds like a bad sci-fi film to me. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> I don't even know what this means. Martin, maybe, maybe Martin should have sent through the formal, you know, the formal dictionary definition of <laughs> paradigm shift because I haven't got a clue what this means. If someone had said this to me in the workplace, I would just be like, what? I'm lost. I'm just- I would have been totally lost, actually. And I think in fairness to Martin, he did send us a, a, a bit more of a definition um, of what it means. And I think it's also a lot of um, like management consultants speak. So like, you know, when you get management consultants come in and they're looking at something and like, let's, you know, this is definitely a paradigm shift. I mean, I would I would probably firstly vomit and then secondly be like, what the hell is this? Like, I have no idea what it means. Um, That's a very extreme reaction if you vomited. I'd love it if that was the case. I think I actually would because it's just so abstract. It's so bizarre. I I genuinely have no idea what this means. It's like, oh, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said it was like a sci-fi film, like a bad one. I was thinking of like (laughs) Twin Peaks or like Quantum Leap, which are really old school as well. Like, Why I didn't think of something a little bit more like Marvel comics, like Guardians of the Galaxy, I don't know. But I just kept thinking of um, old school 70s and 80s, like, we're going for a paradigm shift. But yeah, I don't know what it means. So I think in the general theme of anything bullshit bingo related and for the fact that you and I like clarity of communication and advocate that wherever we possibly can. Although, yeah, feedback people if you don't feel that way. But we do like clarity of language and conversation. This doesn't fit in line with that. As you said, far too abstract. No, I think I'm I'm too much of a straightforward person like to, for this to land with me. Ditto. I actually have to say, I think this is probably one of my most favourite bullshit bingos we've had so far in the season. It's um, it's just so out there. Like, it, I love it. <laughs> yeah, thanks very much, Martin. This is a great one. But generally, yeah. m- mine and Susie's advice for anyone who's listening, especially if you use Paradigm Shift, is don't and say what you mean. So we're coming to the end of today's episode where we've been exploring some of our examples of the best and worst demonstrations of modern leadership in the last couple of years. I say last couple of years, Susie (laughs) took us right back to 97. I did, sorry. Last couple of decades, let's say. I wasn't on brief there. (laughs) And obviously looking at famous examples, I'm sure you've got some probably more localised examples. I'm sure we have, but to bring this to life, we picked up some on some famouses to help bring this to life and focus around what this is teaching us and possibly telling teaching us not to do when it comes to emotional intelligence so the tips to um take forward from today that we've put together from this episode that we advise you give a go just in summary again are number one acknowledging others realities and seeking to understand them so acknowledge that Yes, we're all living this life, but in very different ways. And it's not exactly the same because no one of us are the same person. So we have to acknowledge that our realities are different. The second one is empathizing with others and being kind, but don't fake your concern. So, yes, you may not be going through what someone else is in exactly the same way, but that doesn't invalidate their experience and it doesn't invalidate their feelings. So, If you want to grow connections with others, then really look to understand what they're going through and be kind to them, be sensitive to that. And then the last one is taking responsibility. And that's for your environment and for yourself. So being really clear around how you prepare and you consider and ultimately respond in situations and in scenarios whether that be with big groups of people or with a smaller group of people and really bearing in mind that just because you're on a Zoom call 
it doesn't mean you don't have an audience. People can see you, people can hear you. So think about how you're presenting yourself and your language and don't do a Bill Michael. I think that's probably just, we should do a hashtag. Don't do a Bill Michael (laughs) from KPMG. And just to reiterate again, Emotional intelligence is just as important, if not more so, than IQ, qualifications, any other general traditional school of thought around what it takes to be a successful leader. And I think there is plenty of research out there right now that demonstrates how the most successful leaders who are demonstrated as being good leaders have very high emotional intelligence. In addition to our tips and suggestions, we also are going to offer you some questions to take away and answer for yourselves. So to be clear, me and Susie are managers and leaders. We're also coaches. And this podcast is called The Coaching Cast. And therefore, what we like as coaches and in the true theme of coaching is asking questions. And the reason we pose questions to you is to deepen your thinking and to support you to potentially think differently and take different actions as a result. So be inspired with different ideas through that different thinking. So the three questions that we've got for you today are, to start with, it's an activity. So to increase your self-awareness and support your growth in emotional intelligence, really notice in the next situation that this presents itself, the next opportunity, really notice what you're feeling Ask yourself, what is useful to you about this feeling? And then on the flip side, what is potentially unhelpful to you about this feeling? And on that basis, what could you feel instead that would be more helpful to enable you to manage that situation? The second question is, in the next situation you encounter that creates a potential reaction in you, Take the opportunity to stop. Take a deep breath in through the nose, following Mike's take a deep breath advice, in through the nose, promote mouth, you know, nasal breathing, accurate nasal (laughs) breathing, and then out through the mouth and give yourself time through that breath to consider what the most appropriate, useful reaction is going to be for yourself and for the other person to manage the scenario. So it's less of a question, more of a a tip around an action to take. And then the third one is supporting our suggestion around empathy. So consider a time where you would benefit from putting yourself into another person's shoes. And what I'd like you to do is move yourself physically from the chair you're sitting in, move into a different chair, go and sit in a different chair in a different part of the room that you're sat in. And in that chair, you are going to adopt the feelings, emotions, physicality even of the person you're thinking of, whose shoes you want to step into. And what I want to ask yourself is, what is this person thinking in this moment? What are they feeling And then step back into your chair and consider what have you learned from physically moving into that person's seat and asking yourself what they're feeling and thinking. What have you learned and what are you going to do differently? So they're the three things to give a try this this week, if you would like to. Remember, we always offer that you can take away what you like and ignore the rest. But we hope that's given you some different things to think about and potentially try for this week in relation to our subject of emotional intelligence. So we hope you've enjoyed today and you've got some new ideas to take away and try for yourselves. If you have any questions, thoughts or feedback, we'd love to hear from you. Contact us at hello at thecoachingcast.co.uk or contact us on Instagram at thecoachingcast. Your support means everything to us. Therefore, if you like what you've heard today, then please give us a like, a follow on Instagram, a review on Apple Podcasts, or most importantly, subscribe to future episodes wherever you listen to your podcasts and also on YouTube at The Coaching Cast. In our next episode, we'll be discussing the topic of managing performance virtually with a special guest, 
Helen Franklin, Director and Management Trainer at Free to Lead Consulting. Also, don't forget, there are six other episodes that you can listen to of The Coaching Cast wherever you listen to your podcasts. We both love music and we use it to motivate and energize us. So we like to finish each of our episodes with our personal song recommendation, giving you positivity and energy as you launch into your next Zoom meeting. This week, it's my choice. And I've chosen an old school 80s classic, Alive and Kicking by Simple Minds. Whoa. (laughs) So thanks for listening. Have a great, great week. And remember, you've got this. (laughs) 